Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is faster, better freight quotes with my friend Don Salbucci Favier. Did I pronounce that right, Don? You sure did, Joe. Don is just easier than Salbucci Favier. <laughs> Go for it. So please introduce yourself and your company, Don. Sure. Thanks, Joe. So as you said, my name is Don Salvucci Favier, and I am the Chief Product Officer and co-CEO at Greenscreens.ai. And we're a fairly new company into the market, and we're really providing an intelligent pricing platform for brokers and 3PLs who want to quote with more confidence and win more business more profitably. Nice, nice. I know you guys got an interesting model. We'll get into that in just a minute, but it was interesting. And it's just a short period of time. I knew I was always connected to you on LinkedIn and I watched what green screens was, but I wasn't really sure. I talked to Ben Gordon the other day and he mentioned it. And then the next day, Nick Dangles mentioned, I said, Oh, I have to understand more. And Nick said, would you like to talk to them. I was like, yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> We're happy you reached out for sure. I have just enough knowledge to be dangerous at this point. So I want to talk a little bit again about faster, better freight quotes. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights. Sure. So I grew up in the western suburbs of Boston and started my family there. My education in logistics really came by working my way up through the ranks and learning from some really smart, really amazing mentors along the way. I started with processing freight bills and then analyzing RFPs and ultimately ended up leading operations teams and implementing and supporting technology. Today, I live in sunny South Florida, just a little bit north of Palm Beach with my husband. We've been here for about six years. Years. I like to say we have three seasons, hot, hotter, and swampy. And right now we're somewhere in between hot and hotter, but you know, I get to work from home in my nice air-conditioned home and it's great. But anyway, before Florida, I was fortunate enough to have spent five amazing years in my favorite city in the world, Charleston, South Carolina, and had raised my kids in the Philly suburbs. So I, I keep moving my way south. But career highlights, I mean, as I mentioned, I started my logistics career in the Boston area way back in the mid-90s. So I'm dating myself working for a major retailer in the Boston area. And frankly, I, I fell into logistics quite by accident, I think, as most of us probably do. But I started there and then I moved on to another Boston-based retailer and helped start their inbound transportation operations. And, you know, both of the companies back in the 90s, we were managing our own inbound freight when most retailers were still doing vendor-managed freight. What companies were those? Did you work at TJ Maxx, right? I did. I worked at TJ Maxx and also at Staples. So TJ Maxx first, then Staples. So those yeah. are you work for two survivors. So that's because you think of all the retailers that have come and gone, and they're still there. And TJ Maxx is. I mean, I think it's TJ Maxx, Home Goods, and something else. But. Yeah. Uh, what like TK Maxx. They, there's, there's several brands under there now. They've grown and changed so much, even in the time that I was there. But but both companies, you know, back in the 90s, from a logistics and supply chain perspective, were trailblazers then. And they've just continued to reinvent themselves. It's amazing to watch now and then be part of it. So, so you had the shipper side and then you some point made the switch over to 
the dark side. Yeah. So <laughs> while I was at Staples, actually, we implemented a TMS there and I was still on the business side as kind of the project manager, super user, and found that I just really liked the technology side. I liked it. I was actually kind of good at it. So we moved over to the IT department there and, you know, started supporting not just the TMS, but, you know, more supply chain initiatives. And then the TMS provider that we were working with recruited me to come join their their product management team. So I moved to Philly to start working for them and the rest is really history. I've spent the past 20 years working for many TMS providers, Manugistics, JDA, Red Prairie, who are all now under that blue yonder umbrella. More recently, I spent seven years with 3G TMS as one of the founders of that company. And that whole time I've been working in product strategy leadership, right? Delivering logistics technology solutions to hundreds of shippers and 3PLs and brokers around the world. Very nice. Very nice. So when and why did you join Green Screens? What hole did you see in the market? What was going on? So it's interesting. The company was founded just over a year ago with the idea of helping logistics companies navigate the storm of uncertainty and eroding margins and to overcome the limitations of limited technology and market intelligence that a lot of companies face, particularly in the area of uh, predictive pricing and task automation and connectivity with their customers being the shippers. And with a real focus on helping the small to midsize or even larger traditional brokerages compete against the big guys and the emerging tech-led companies. So our mission is really to help our customers quote with more confidence, better, faster, and ultimately win more business. So last summer, I was introduced to green screens through Ben Gordon, who is one of our board members. And I personally was really attracted by what they had been working on here and the talented team that had been assembled, you know, at my most recent company at 3G TMS. And certainly before that, I had had the opportunity to work with a lot of brokers and 3PLs and found that what Green Screens was working on was really something very novel that nobody else was doing. And it was filling a major unmet need in the market for dynamic pricing. So, you know, over the 20 years of delivering technology, I had spent a lot of time working with algorithms and routing and route optimization. But like most of us, I think I'm a relative newbie to the world of AI and machine learning. And I was intrigued and excited by the fact that this was a great use case for applying cool, modern, advanced technology in a practical way for, you know, an industry that I love and know really well. Yeah. So you mentioned dynamic pricing. Give us a little definition of that. Yeah. So, I mean, particularly in the spot market and with the market dynamics and the volatility that we see you know, it's no longer good enough to know what the market price was seven days ago or even three days ago, right? Logistics is truly a daily business. Things are changing very quickly. So, you know, not only where you should expect to be buying in the market, but also pricing to the customer. And, you know, again, with the evolution of some of these tech-led or digital freight brokerages and being directly connected to the shippers, we're seeing margins eroding. We're seeing the response time required or demanded by these shippers is decreasing. And it's become just a much more dynamic environment for spot pricing. Whereas in the past, you know, you might get a phone call or an email. Hey, can you get me a price for this load? Sure, let me go research it. I'll get back to you. That just can't happen anymore. If you take that time, you're likely going to lose that load, right? Right. So dynamic pricing is all about getting that faster quote and also the better quote. Like I have to have a fast quote right now, not if somebody said, Don, I'll get you a great rate and you're going to be so satisfied with it and I should have it in the next five days. You're like, 
don't ever call me again, right? <laughs> or I even say tomorrow afternoon, don't ever call me again. I want it right now, right? So, so it has to be fast, but it also has to be, when I say better, it has to be better for your customer, but it also has to be something that you can live with. Right. So if I say, yeah, I gave Dawn a great quote, she's delighted, and I'm only losing uh, 50 bucks on that, or my margin is 6%, none of that's good enough. So we have to be really good and really fast to stay in the market. So talk a little bit about just when we were prepping for this, we talked about some of the current challenges that companies have when they're trying to develop this faster, better pricing. So talk about just today's kind of some of the things, the problems we're all running into. Yeah. So, I mean, crazy times in logistics over the past several years, but certainly the last year has challenged all of us. But there's really four fundamental problems that we're looking to help companies solve. And some of them are new and some of them not so much. I mean, I think the first and biggest problem that a lot of companies face is the competitive pressure that's being created by the emergence of these tech-led digital brokerages, very well-funded, VC-backed or otherwise over the past several years. And, you know, these companies have made significant investments in technology and BI and data science to help them develop the internal solutions that are data-driven intelligence to gain a competitive advantage. And for those that don't have the luxury of VCs funding or being otherwise well-funded, it's it's a really difficult hurdle to overcome. And Joe, I, I like to draw the comparison even before I met you in person to an article that you actually wrote a couple of years ago about the similarities of what we're seeing in the freight brokerage industry today or over the past couple of years to what happened back in the 90s in the stock brokerage industry when Charles Schwab came in, you know, the internet and it really disrupted the market and changed the game where these tech-led stock brokerages came in with lower cost structures and deeply discounted rates and better accessibility to the buyers and just turned the market on its head and made it really difficult for the traditional brokers to compete. And that's what we've been seeing in freight brokerage for the past several years. You mentioned in their BI, go into what is BI real quick. So BI is business intelligence. And a lot of these terms are kind of buzzwords and are used interchangeably. When I think of BI, it's really the data mining and the analytics and the reporting piece of it. And you get into AI, artificial intelligence, which is computer based, right? So, and then there's just all kinds of technology, the portals, the connectivity, right? right? right. There, there's all kinds of different technology that these folks have invested in. So, yeah, when I wrote that article, I was thinking, this is three, four, five years ago, whenever I wrote it, and it's come up lately. And I think it's an interesting, a lot of people, you know, never dealt with a stockbroker. And when I wrote that article, I had to see, is there even such a thing as a stockbroker anymore? And there are. But at one time, the only way you could buy a stock was through a stockbroker. And I think in 78, Bob said, hey, we got this discount model. I don't think the discount model really took off till the internet took off. But what was interesting is being the age I am in my 50s, I know stockbrokers, guys who started their careers as stockbrokers. And they all were told, hey, build relationships, long-term relationships. And they did that. But they also charged like $400 to buy $10,000 worth of stock. And then when you'd sell it, you pay them another three or $400. And um, they were the only game in town. So you had no choice. And I remember when it's their competitive comeuppance came with the seven or eight dollar, ten dollar trades, and now with Robinhood, it's free. They were like, "How are we going to make a living?" And those guys, a lot of stockbrokers, are still around. They didn't evaporate, but they became financial planners. They became guys who said, "We're going to help you with 
cradle to grave, so to speak, right? They're going to help you with your insurance. Tell me about your kid's college, your retirement, all those things. And I think we're going to have to see a lot of freight brokerage people, a lot of people who are managing loads are going to have to move into a slightly different role. And I think it's a better role, which is let me be part of the supply chain. Let me understand from order to cash. Well, look, I, I totally agree with that. And I think we're already seeing that happen over the past few years. And it's going in both directions. I think we're seeing more companies that have been traditionally been freight brokerage are expanding their service offering into full managed service offering, more of the traditional 3PL offering. And likewise, companies that were more traditionally 3PL without freight brokerage are beginning to offer it because they want to be the one-stop shop for their customer. They don't want their customers to be shopping around. So you're right on with that for sure. Right. For sure. So the first chunk is this competitive pressure. Nick Nick Dangles, as we, we had this conversation when we were prepping, Nick Dangles said, he's the one who introduced us finally. And Nick had posted on LinkedIn about you know, margins of being about 15%. I know he said he didn't know for sure if that was it, but it was about that. And he said, and then somebody kind of posted, I don't even know who posted it, said once once margins get to eight or 10%, a lot of brokers cease to exist. And I was calling that the dinosaur event. That is where one day the margins went low enough where you say, hey, this doesn't work anymore. And I think there's probably stockbrokers who got there and said, hey, you know, I don't have enough business to keep this whole operation rolling. Agree. And that kind of brings us to the next issue. And this is definitely not a new problem, but it's still a really big one. And that's the volatility of the market and the price pressure that that creates, right? So, you know, you always hear people talk about the perfect storm or unprecedented market conditions. And, you know, I do think that this past year or so is a hyper cycle. But to me, this is all just a cycle. In the 28 years that I've been in in this business, I've seen cycles like this, maybe not as pronounced as this, but like this multiple times, right? Markets are always going to fluctuate. But the key thing there is that with all that volatility comes a lot of uncertainty, right? And, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. The task at hand, though, is really how do you figure out how to price the business low enough to win it, but high enough to make sure that you're going to be able to find a truck to show up and, as you said, maintain margins that aren't going to put you out of business. And I think if you look at that uncertainty and volatility and you combine it with the competitive pressures that we just talked about by the discounted tech brokerages that are also driving lower price expectations, higher expectations around responsiveness, it just makes that challenge even worse because you have all this uncertainty around how to price. You don't have the time to really do the research and scour all of these multiple sources of data because the customers expect, as we said, immediate response. And in a business that's already operating with eroding margins and fierce competition, and the customer expectations, you know, if you don't get it right, you're left with a bunch of not so good choices, right? You could lose the business because you didn't respond fast enough. You could lose the business because you priced it too high. You could win the business at a very low margin or even at a loss because you priced it too low. Or I think worse, you win the business, but then ultimately lose it because you can't find a truck and you need to give it back. And then you've pissed off the customer at the same time, right? So that's just a whole bunch of yuck right there. So. Earlier on, you mentioned some of these tech tech uh, companies that have come in very well funded. They've got venture capital money, and if they make a mistake and go, we had to lose money on a few. We ate a few of these. Who cares, right? And you look at C. H. Robinson, have made enormous investment. They're not VC backed. They're publicly traded. They obviously could eat a few deals too. They don't have to worry about missing the market. Of course, they have such great technology. They probably don't ever miss the market anymore. But J. B. Hunt, a lot of these large companies 
I've been in the business for a long time and they've invested heavily too. So it's the guys who, without the cool technology, who have to worry, how am I going to stay competitive? How am I going to stay in the game? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I think there's a couple more things that, that are really disrupting the market right now. And while it's definitely true that we have access to more data than we've, we've ever had access to before, right? The problem's really accessibility, understandability, reliability of that market intelligence. And there's definitely many sources of market data that's available, but many of them are just what they claim to be. And that's a market average, right? But a market average rate doesn't mean that your company is going to pay that market average, right? So if you're basing your pricing strategy on market averages, you're likely overpaying or underpricing and therefore leaving money on the table or or losing margin. So it again contributes to that margin issue, but it's a reliability of the data. In addition to being non-contextual to your business and your buying power, that data is often dirty and delayed, right? Old dirty data, as we were saying, (laughs) if not by days, by weeks. And you know, given again that logistics is a daily business and things are changing, you know, knowing what the market average rate was seven days ago is only a marginally useful strategy, right? Right. So when you say it's this data is non-contextual, what you mean is I have so somebody says, Joe, that the, the lane from Chicago to Atlanta was if you gave me a market average and gave me the last twenty prices or whatever, that that wouldn't be necessarily good for me because you say, Joe, for all you know, that is a huge shipper that does a lot of work with these guys. It's not a price that you necessarily get, or it could have been those this price was the day before the pandemic hit. Or next day pay, right? You pay the carriers next day, or, you know, there's a lot of things that contribute to that. What type of commodity is it? So there's a lot of things that factor into the freight that you're moving and the way that you're buying that aren't reflected in those market averages. So when you say it's non-contextual, that's what you mean. It's it's, it's out of context. Right. So exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if somebody's quoted out of context, it's not that useful. And then in this case, getting a whole bunch of market data doesn't necessarily give you the answer. One other thing, you use the term understandability. <laughs> If you give me tons of data and say, here you go, Joe, this will help you make that quote. And I'm like, yeah, I got like 15 minutes to go through all this. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm brilliant, but just not that brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And, and, And that is actually another challenge, right? And it's the challenge of people and productivity, right? So I think on the people side, there's definitely plenty of seasoned veterans in this industry who have been playing this game for years, if not decades, and they could definitely do it in their sleep. But even some of those veterans are are struggling right now, right? With all of the uncertainty. Look, pricing is definitely more of an art than a science, and it's not something that can be easily taught. And again, working towards lower cost structures, we're more and more seeing more inexperienced people coming into the industry that it may be their first job in logistics. And they're trying to figure all of this out and decipher this data and what to do and do it quickly. And they often lack the skill and the experience to deal with that on their own, nor do they really have the discipline or the time to operate between multiple systems and and do the research, right? Right. And I think also, yeah, you mentioned multiple systems. Everyone I know seems to have multiple screens. I told somebody on the podcast, I'm printing something out. They're like, do you not use multiple screens? I'm like, no, no, I don't. Thank you very much. I don't have to. I printed out a piece of paper like the uh, old person I am, I guess. There's another thing when you say there's market veterans who who can do this in their sleep. 
maybe when there was fat, happy margins, fat and happy margins gave us a little bit of leeway. So you say, I killed it on these seven and I did okay on these two and this one I lost and I'm okay. Well, as margins get tighter, the margin of error goes away. You can't miss on a few or you're going to have to make a lot of money on others. And again, that's just when tighter margins come, maybe that tribal knowledge it's still useful, just not as useful. We need something more. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The human will never go away, right? There are a lot of, you know, relationships are important and the human will never go away. But there's a lot of things that computers can do better than, than we can, right? I would just wonder if the AI in your system is saying, oh, Don, you're going away. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope not. I hope they're not that smart, right? The things you see in movies that frighten you about the AI. Yep. Yeah, no. So you started touching on some of these problems that with the current market. Summarize those for us real quick before we get into what is dynamic pricing and why we need it. Yeah. So, you know, the first is competitive pressure, right? These well-funded tech-led companies, right? I think the second one is certainly not new and that's the market volatility. But when you combine that uncertainty with the competitive pressure, right, it really just kind of explodes from there. You know, the third is the intuitiveness and the accessibility to data, right, that users can easily digest. digest. And then the fourth is that whole issue of people and productivity and speed, right? Yep. So I know that Green Screens and other companies like you have created this dynamic pricing. And I, I've said it before, and I will say it, I'm sure again, to me, this is one of those places where the world of freight tech is going to have haves and haves not. The haves are going to have this technology and they are going to do really well. And I think the have nots are going to struggle at some point. They're either going to get on board with this technology. And I just did a podcast with Nick Dangles on freight tech freight tech table stakes. And this is going to be one of those things you either get on board or you watch the ship sail away. <laughs> I agree 100%. And as we go out and we talk to, you know, some of the bigger players in the market, they've all invested on this for their own. And when I talked about the non-contextual and the personalization that's what they've invested in, right? That's their data-driven intelligence platform for their company, right? And, and that's how they're winning. So this dynamic pricing will allow us to get this faster, better freight quote. So tell us how we get there. <laughs> sure, sure. So, I, you know, I think if we talk about quoting better, you know, for us, the focus is around machine learning. Machine learning uh, based rating and analytical engine that, that's really tuned again to your specific business without a significant investment in your own data science team, right? So if we look at machine learning, it, it's an application of artificial intelligence that can access the data, large volumes of data, and use that data to learn for itself without explicitly being programmed to an outcome. So, you know, we've been saying for years, well, computers are dumb. You still have to tell a computer what to do. The computer needs to be told what the expected outcome is. But that's not really the case any longer with some of these newer machine learning, artificial intelligence-based algorithms, right? They are able to consume large amounts of data and identify patterns in that data and dynamically determine an algorithm that is going to best fit the current solution, 
right? The more data and history the algorithm has access to, the smarter it gets, the more accurate it gets. So what we're doing is using a company's historical data to train the system as to how that company has bought behaviorally in the market and what their buying power is. And then on a transactional basis, we combine real-time aggregated and anonymized data from other companies, market indicators to really deliver a highly accurate price prediction of not just what that market average rate is, but specifically what are you going to pay based on who you are and what the market conditions are. And working with our customers, we've found that the rates that are coming out of green screens are often within less than 5% of what the customer actually ends up buying at. And you know, whereas some- And you get tighter every day too, because you've got that machine learning. So at some point you're going to be able to say, we're- within 1% at some point, right? Right. Well, and, and some of them are. I mean, our rates come with what we call a confidence level, high, medium, and low. And, you know, some of these high confidence, if it's a lane that you do repeatedly, there's no reason that there should be any deviation. It's really for more the less frequently traveled lanes or the new business that you're trying to win, right? Where it becomes even more important. And, you know, we see that, you know, other market data sources, they're far less accurate than that for what an individual company is actually going to pay. And we're not only giving giving them what they should expect to pay, but also based on that buy price, you know, that kind of optimized buy price, and then where they've been pricing and winning business historically, what they should sell that same load at, right? That's all kind of synchronized together. Yeah. And so that's the better part. And if you gave me all that data and I was very knowledgeable of, you know, the lanes and everything, if first you'd be giving me too much data to process and I would do the best I could even if I just skimmed it, it would take me weeks, months to go through and say, here it is. Here's my better freight quote. And I don't have that time. When I got to give quotes, I got to give them now. I don't, if somebody asks me, hey, give me a quote on these hundred lanes. I can't say, yeah, I'll get back to you in a few weeks. <laughs> Exactly. That market demands otherwise now. And that kind of brings you to the faster part, right? So we talked about the better. What about the faster? And, you know, I think, again, leveraging the technology to eliminate the additional steps that are required, right? To gain the confidence that you have determined the right price and eliminate the friction that exists between the sell side and the buy side of the transaction, particularly when you have a split brokerage model, right? You have sell side reps and buy side reps, and there is a lot of often contention and friction between them. So, you know, by giving... And and what you mean by that is when buy side, sell side, I like to keep it basic for my audience here is so that what you mean is that's what I buy the truck for. Right. So buy side is what you buy the truck for. Sell side is what you sell the customer for. uh, You have account managers, sales reps, whatever the case may be, selling to the customer. And frankly, oftentimes setting a target buy rate which then gets transferred over to the carrier rep who's trying to buy the truck. But that target buy rate is unrealistic, right? And if you're setting your sell price based on a target buy rate or vice versa, that's unrealistic, it all falls apart, right? Again, it goes back to those eroding margins and razor thin and competitiveness. Yeah, if I don't have that big fat margin, you know, again, that covers up a lot of, I'll call you know, not being dead on. I don't have to be dead on if I hit 30% margin on six or seven of these and I missed on one, but who cares? Because I made a lot of money today. As the margins go down, we're not going to have that luxury of 
fat margins to, to make up for the bad ones you made. So we have to get better on the buy side. We have to get better on the sell side. 100%, right? So you've got quoting better with more accurate. You've got quoting faster. And, and honestly, the faster part, it also allows each rep to win more business every day or at least quote and hopefully win more business every day, which gives the company the ability to maximize their manpower, right? And you leverage the technology where it makes sense and leverage the human capital for the situations that really require it, right? And the ones that, that can't be easily automated. So let me ask a question. So if I was to work with, uh, let's just say I'm a, a 3PL and I have my TMS and then I say, okay, I want to start working with green screens. I want to have a better freight, better and faster freight quote. So how does my system interact with your system? I mean, that's a fantastic question, right? So, you know, one of the fastest ways to kill any technology initiative is with time consuming and expensive integration requirements, right? <laughs> or, or development requirements. And whether that's integration to get the market data and intelligence or to put those insights at the fingertips of the people who really need them. You know, for most companies, again, unless you're fortunate enough to be one of those those big, well-funded companies, you don't have the bandwidth to undertake, you know, those integration or development projects, your, your own scalable and intuitive solutions, right? So we have uh, an integration platform and, and that's really another key piece of what we do, right? So we take care of the market data. We've made it ridiculously easy for our customers to share their historical and transactional data with us. And then most importantly, we believe that the way that you drive user behavior and adoption and efficiency is to live within their existing workflow by inserting the power and insight of our product into their existing TMS systems. And we do that either through what we call our TMS supercharger, which would be, you know, like a Chrome extension that we would develop that would just take up a very small sliver of real estate and sit on top of the TMS or working with our TMS partners to embed green screens within the user's TMS experience. Nice. I know uh, this would come up probably a lot is, let's just say I do have a lot of historical data and I think that's a proprietary thing that makes me better than my competition. When I give you access to it, you make it anonymous, right? You're not using that data. Absolutely. Yeah. So all of our data is aggregated and anonymized and more importantly, the only thing or yeah, the only thing that sees your data is the engine, right? Is the machine learning engine itself. So we never share your data with anybody. And because again, we're presenting our customers with a personalized rate, it's really, you know, your data is a market input that isn't exposed to anybody. Now, of course, your users at your company will see your historical information and things like that as a means of decision support to the user to help them make those better or validate or make those better decisions, but nobody other than the engine itself as an input of market activity sees sees your data. Right. So at some point, if someone's working with you, they can say, yep, I've got your price and I've got the price that they ultimately bought at. And it, can I get a report at some point at the end of the week or the end of the month and say, what did I quote? What won the business? And um, what was the green screens number? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that we report on and monitor regularly. We also do provide our customers with a management dashboard for you know, pricing and revenue management type metrics, right? So just to measure the performance of their business month over month down to the individual rep level if they want to. And, you know, part of that is also where did we price this at? Where did you actually buy it? Right. You're not making the decision for me. You're giving me, here's what we recommend. 
and I can take it or leave it. At some point, I imagine most people are saying, I'm just going to take it just as it is. And you also mentioned confidence level. You So tell me a little bit about confidence level. Yeah, so the confidence level is really, again, it's, it's an algorithmic thing. It's really, if you think about it, it's statistical probability, right? Go back to college math or maybe even high school math. But it's really kind of, you know, we're showing what is the probability that this rate that we've predicted is going to be the rate that you pay. And, and if you think about a bell curve where we have a really dense data sample that's tall and the potential outcomes of pricing that load is narrow, that's something we would call a high confidence. Whereas, you know, medium is, you know, maybe a little bit less of a data sample, a little bit more spread on the potential outcomes and so on. And we do actually have customers today that are fully automating the high confidence. When we give them back a high confidence rate, they'll automatically turn that around, apply some of their own pricing rules to it, and just quote the customer in an automated fashion, right? So that kind of, you know, again, that's arming the small to medium-sized company with power of some of these digital freight brokerages that are directly connected to the shippers and you're giving them real-time dynamic pricing. You're also giving a little bit of confidence because if I'm giving an automated price, I need to know that I'm not going to, hey, my, my system gave out 30 automated prices today and 28 of them lost money. I mean, <laughs> that is not what I want to hear. Well, and I think for every price prediction, we show the customer what we're suggesting, both on the buy side and the sell side. But we're also showing them as you know validation, here's where you've been buying for the last 30 days. Here are the carriers that have been moving it for you for the last 60 days. Here's what the market's been doing and what your rates have been doing for the last 12 months. So we're showing them all of that information. So even if that trust and confidence isn't there, we're showing them the why and really teaching the user, right? So it serves two purposes. It's validation, but it's also educating the human, right, on how that decision was made. Right. We give these confidence. You said it's high, medium, low confidence. So this is a high confidence that they're going to take this rate at $1,800. Exactly. And then if I say, well, I don't want to get 1800 I want a little fatter margin. So I want to get 1850 And you'll say, uh, that's still within the high. So I say, oh, cool. I'll, I'll do 1850 Then if I go to 1880 and you go, eh, medium, I might still do that, right? Well, so the target buy rate doesn't really change, right? So the confidence level comes with, we're confident you're going to be able to buy at this. Where the human adjustment comes into play is really on, okay, where am I going to sell this and how much margin do I want to make on it? And it doesn't necessarily change the confidence level of what the buy price is going to be because that's indicative of what's the market. So the confidence level is on the buy side, not on the sell side. Correct, correct. Then, you know, the user then has the ability to make a decision on the right sell price based on that. On what their margins. Well, that's cool. So if I know I can buy it at a certain price, we're pretty sure. So you can make decisions still within that. You're not you're not taking it all away. But at a certain point, you're going to say, I imagine people will at a certain point say, as long as I know I can buy it, I can put this appropriate margin on there. That's a slam dunk. I don't even have to look at that. That's where they the, the buy now comes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Very slick. So this is an instantaneous quote. I mean, how quickly do I get this quote back from you guys? Instantaneously. And we do actually have a batch rating function that when I'm doing my demos, I like to show it. I, you know, I upload a file that has 594 lanes in it and the system is done processing it before I'm even done explaining that the file I just uploaded had 594 lanes in it. So not only is it accurate, it's fast. Do you ever imagine every one of the freight brokers that you 
I've talked to said, all right, I'll take that and I'll go look and see how these prices actually are. <laughs> Do they call you back and go, yeah, we double checked your work there, Don, and uh, nice job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, and it depends on what we're being measured to, right? Are you measuring us against one of those market averages, or are you measuring us against what you actually paid? Right. That's all I want to be measured against. Yeah. So don't measure us against a market average, because as I said earlier, there's no guarantee that that's what you're going to pay. You know, you need to let the transaction complete and measure it against what you actually paid. And that's where the accuracy comes into play. Right. So we're talking April 1st. Uh, April Fool's. Yeah, April Fool's 2021. So a year ago, in year and a month ago, say when pre-COVID, and then one day, COVID rates hit and all of a sudden all hell broke loose. What could you guys do for me and to help me adjust to pandemic pricing? How did, I mean, cause like your system obviously didn't have a ton of data about pandemics. We haven't had one in a hundred years. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's kind of the, the power of machine learning, right? Because the more data it has, the smarter and more accurate it gets. And in our system, you know, the average amount of time that it takes for either a booked load, so a load that you've booked, or a trend or a shift in the market to start influencing our price predictions is less than 24 hours because we are receiving data at least daily, if not on a transactional basis, not just the customer's transactional data, but also that that market information as well. You know, from a pandemic perspective, it's... You know, like in September, we noticed that the market had hit a temporary plateau and we noticed that the system wasn't adjusting as quickly to that plateau as we needed to. So we just went in and tweaked a couple of the levers in the algorithm and it was able to, again, begin teaching itself that, okay, when I recognize this type of shift in the data that I'm getting that, you know, indicates the plateau or an increase or whatever. And, and that's really the power of, of machine learning. Very slick, very slick. So so basically, as humans, we have all sorts of biases. And we're putting our bias into all of our freight quotes. And we all have different experiences. We're all bringing that different experience in our freight quotes. And imagine even the mood of people. You're in a bad mood, and then you have a customer who wants a low rate. I see us as humans are great. We created AI. We created machine learning. But it doesn't have a bad mood. It doesn't have a bad day. Or recency bias or anything else. Exactly. Exactly. It does not. No, for sure. So Don, I know this is a big topic, but please summarize this for us. And then I want to hear how people can reach out and talk to green screens. Sure. So, you know, I think even in our conversation today and certainly over the recent weeks, there's been a lot of dialogue. I mean, even Nick, again, had a post yesterday on LinkedIn that really had a lot of emotional responses to it about whether technology is better at pricing or humans, right? And I think there's definitely some strong feelings in both directions, but I think the reality is it's not a either or situation. In this case, the sum of the parts are, are truly greater than the whole. Computers and particular machine learning-based AI are better and faster and more accurate at taking large and disparate data sets to figure out you know, patterns and algorithms that are going to be hard. As we said, for you and me to identify directly, it can get you to a much higher degree of accuracy and automation, again, while allowing you to focus your human capital 
on the work that really requires it, right? So it should be leveraged to eliminate the tasks that suck, you know, the ones that are resource intensive and slow and, and productivity suckers. But I do think there needs to be a balance, right, between the automation and empowering the human with decision support to help them be more effective and more efficient. And that's really what we do at Green Screen. So certainly the core of what we do is our rating engine and machine learning, but we don't just focus on the power and accuracy of our algorithms, but have invested a lot in really intuitive decision support tools and a user experience that's going to help the human make those better decisions faster when they need to. Yep. You know, it comes up on the podcast quite a bit is the difference between human work and robot work or bot work or AI work. And if you're going to build relationships, if you're going to do selling, we still need humans in the middle. You still need to make those phone calls to say, hey, something went wrong. We're not replacing humans, but let's face it. If somebody gives me that 594 lines and says, hey, create pricing for that, it's like, oh, this is a crappy day. I would hate to have to do that, right? <laughs> and your AI loves doing it. <laughs> it does. That, that why, that's why it exists, right? Exactly. So tell us, who do you serve? Who do you work with over at Green Screens? Our primary customers are U.S. truckload brokers and 3PLs, you know, predominantly those with a large percentage of spot market or transactional freight. As we continue to build out our solution this year, we do have a roadmap that is, you know, focused on taking us just beyond the spot market and expanding our reach into the carrier and shipper markets as well, getting into more longer term rate predictions and leveraging supply and demand type principles, right? And getting into more of the capacity forecasting and capacity matching and things like that as well. So every time uh, you hear about technology, I always think this, you know, when I said the haves and the haves not, is this something that is going to be price accessible for small, medium guys? Absolutely. Yeah. We do price our solution based on the gross revenue of the company, kind of scales with that, just because our biggest benefit, we believe, is to improving gross margin, right? And that that's really where the benefit of our solution comes from. So we have put together pricing packages that are accessible to everybody. And even for the really small brokerages working with our TMS partners, right, as a channel and kind of small business bundles working through those channels as well, we've made it really accessible. And we are offering early adopters discounted pricing as well, a little bit of a plug there, as well as offering a free 60-day pilot. Try it before you buy it. No risk, no obligation. Nice. Nice. I'm just curious, do people ever say, hey, look, we need less headcount because of this? I don't know that it's necessarily a headcount reduction as much as it is to minimizing the need to bring in additional headcount to support their growth strategy, right? You might move people around and they can focus more on, again, human activities if this is uh, some of the work is being done by AI and ML. Use the human capital to do the more value-added work, for sure. Nice, nice. So how do we reach out and talk to Green Screens and you? So you can contact me directly at Dawn, D-A-W-N, at greenscreens.ai, or you can visit our website at greenscreens.ai. And don't forget the AI part, because otherwise you're going to end up at either a TV production or a marijuana dispensary, and we're neither of those. So, (laughs) But while you're on our website, uh, definitely be sure to check out our product pages for a little bit more information. But more importantly, on our resource page, we do have some additional information there, some case studies, but also an educational website white paper on the power of using machine learning for, you know, the art of spot market pricing. Excellent. So what I'll do, Don, is I'll put a link to your white paper and to your website. 
and to your LinkedIn profile so people can bug you over there. Great. This was great. I'm absolutely blown away by what's happening with this stuff. It is so cool. And again, this to me is really one of those moments where this is the haves and have not. You better get on board with dynamic pricing. It's transforming the business. And by the way, if you think, well, we're not going to do it, the big guys have been doing it. That's what they do already. So <laughs> I agree. And, you know, we're here to disrupt. So, you know, we'll be like the Charles Schwab in the internet of the 90s, right? So Robin Hood without the scandal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Joe. It's, it's been great. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. And uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.